Hey there, and welcome back into the BetUS Boxing Show for another Friday. It is the month of March, and we're glad that you're with us because we've got a featherweight world title doubleheader coming on Saturday. We've got the return of Jake Paul in action in Puerto Rico. Is he going to get another quick knockout or not? We're ready to handicap all of these fights, go over the latest boxing news and much more. I'm the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is our insider. We love his Fight Freaks Unite Substack. Why are you not subscribed to that? You need to be reading this man, including his insider info, etc. Fight Freaks Unite on Substack is where we find Dan Rayfield. You find him every Friday on BetUS TV. Uh, Always love to kick off the weekend with you. Maybe that's a slight exaggeration. Anyway, good to be with you, my friend. Uh, as we're ready to talk the sweet science for another week, how are things? Things are good. We got set. We got a good, got a good card uh, that we're going to talk about. I'm actually very much looking forward to this one. Yeah, and and very interestingly, not only is it Jake Paul in action in Puerto Rico, but the top female fighter in the lower weight divisions, uh, featherweight world champ, seven division world champ Amanda Serrano is headlining there as well. So there's some interesting action that's going to be going on. Uh, for this uh, for this weekend that we're ready to handicap again thank you for finding us hit the like button down below make sure you're subscribed if you're a fight fan this is your place to be not only for the handicapping but the fun the frivolity the insight the humor of the live questions that are coming later on in the show dan has for many years loved the friday live chat whether it's typed or whether it's spoken so get ready chatters savages freaks uh we love all of it here on BetUS TV. Hey, before you and I get into the handicapping just for a moment or two here, the Canelo Alvarez situation really unraveled with Premier Boxing Champions after uh, we did the show last Friday, after last Friday's, uh, last weekend's action. This is uh, a significant deal in that it is now up in the air as to where are we going to be able to see, and more importantly, who's the opponent for Canelo on May the 4th. Dan, we went over this a bunch on our Big Fight Weekend boxing podcast. You can find it wherever you get podcasts, Big Fight Weekend. They can hear the full description. Give me kind of the Cliff Notes version on where we are, because this is not going to be part of the Amazon deal for Premier Boxing Champions. What's the latest on where it might be Canelo's May fight fight coming up? So, I mean, if you follow along, you know that Canelo signed a three-fight agreement with PBC uh, that was uh, supposed to, that, would, that did kick off with the fight that he had last September and a victory, a very easy victory against Jermell Charlo, the junior middleweight champion who had moved up to weight divisions. And here they were trying to plan out what was fight number two. Uh, it looked like it was supposed to be Jermall Charlo, uh, the twin brother of Jermell Charlo, who has the WBC's middleweight title, who is one of the three fighters that was contemplated in that contract. It was Jermell, Jermall, and Errol Spence. Obviously, Errol Spence is not a doable fight because of what happened to him against Crawford. You know, he suffered injuries. Uh, he got beat very badly. He's, you know, who knows when he'll ever fight again, if he'll fight again, and certainly it won't be against the super middleweight world champion. So they were looking to make the fight against uh, Jamal Charlo uh, for a certain amount of money. And uh, because that fight did not look like it would be very profitable for anybody other than the Canelo Alvarez getting a big guarantee, because of how badly his brother looked, how Jamal has been inactive, how he looked very bad. And when he did come back finally after almost three years away, uh, a lot of the decisions were made that, you know, if you're going to if we're going to do that fight, we need you to sign to fight the big fight, which they perceived as either Crawford, but more likely David Benavides that would have taken place in September. And that was not part of right. paperwork. And he basically said, you know what, I'm not bound to do that. So no, thank you. And, uh, you know, in the end, they could not work out the situation. And he is uh, now a free agent, uh, and that contract has come to a, a surprising end after just the one fight. So now uh, he's still planning to fight in May. It's just a matter of 
where he'll fight. He's in conversations, obviously, going back perhaps to matchroom boxing and Eddie Hearn. And you ask about who the opponents are. We know who the possibilities are. There's Munguia out there, which is an interesting fight. There is Edgar Berlanga, which I know has created a lot of uh, negativity from some people. Some people like it. Some people absolutely despise it. Uh, I think it's probably one of those two. I think one of the issues right now between uh, the parties is in what order will they do it? Uh, Canelo is, I am told, it preferred Berlanga in the in the May slot and then is willing to fight Munguia in the September slot. And and the zone's perspective is we would prefer it the other way around. Uh, you know, we shall see what happens, whether he signs there, whether he goes elsewhere, whether he fights one of those two opponents, whether there's somebody else out there that's of interest uh, that they can make a deal with. And, uh, you know, I think whatever happens, TJ, you know, right now we're in that making the sausage period of time. Probably in the next seven to 10 days, we'll probably see some sort of re- resolution, whatever happens. Uh, I do know that on our pod again, second reference to it, off the Berlanga win, which we handicapped last week, I had the Berlanga knockout, by the way, in the main event uh, for Matchroom. I had the knockout. You, you said to me uh, in the aftermath of that that on the Rayfield meter, zero, it never happens with Canelo, 10, it absolutely happens. You thought it would be a six and a half that it could happen, and maybe as soon as May, a few days later now, do you believe that Berlanga is still in play for May or probably not for him in May? What are you what are you hearing? I raised my number from six and a half to eight. Really? Yeah. It could be that quick that Berlanga and he's obviously in shape. He scored a six round knockout uh last week in the main event with McCrory that we talked about. Yeah, so is is that maybe the guy on May 4th, Las Vegas for Canelo? We gotta stay tuned. It's gotta yeah, be somebody. Listen, this is, I've said this before, this is not complicated. I mean, it's complicated maybe the minutia of making the actual agreement wherever you're going to fight, whoever you're going to fight. But in terms of the opponents, we know who's out there. There's not some magic bullet, some big name, some other fighter that sort of fits the bill. That's the guy that they've identified. Now, I'm not saying I endorsed the match. I'm just telling you what the, the lay of the land is. And there's a very strong likelihood that he will fight uh, Berlanga. And if he doesn't fight Berlanga in the May slot, it's very likely he'll fight him in the September position. All right. And you see Boxing God weighing in out of the live chat about where does this leave premier boxing champions when this was the drawing card for this pay-per-view in the second deal, second fight of the year, third fight of the deal in September. That is very much up in the air. We don't have another five minutes to go over it, but is it not? It's very much up in the air, premier boxing champions in that relationship already with Amazon Prime. I'm you, saying that. You keep saying that. I, I'm, I'm reserving judgment. I, I I can't. Listen, when the deal was announced, it was contemplated from day one that their first event wouldn't be until March. That's going to happen on March 30th. I'm told that they'll have uh, some non-pay-per-view fights, but they won't begin until June. So I don't, I, I've been doing this for too long to get too up in arms in the immediacy. I try to look at the whole landscape and, you know, kind of see the forest through the trees. So I understand there's a lot of consternation from some because of what's happening. And there's obviously a slowdown at the moment. But, uh, you know, I am willing to wait it out for a few months to see what actually occurs before I, you know, start shooting my mouth off, which I will do when the time comes. <laughs> when the appropriate time comes around. It's just not at the moment. All right. I see the live audience growing. Thank you for finding us. Hit the like button down below. Make sure you're subscribed. We're here Fridays at 1 Eastern time, and we are ready to handicap some fights. Shall we, Dan Rayfield? Let's get into it. ESPN Top Rank Show. Very intriguing battle for the vacant WBA featherweight title. This is the Turning Stone Resort in Verona, New York, at the casino in in, uh, northern uh, New York, upstate New York. Uh, Odebeck Kolmatov, a Uzbek fighter, a big-time amateur, 
uh, has been a rising star at, Fever- at Featherweight, one of the top contenders against an American, Raymond Ford, who you just recently talked to. It seems like all I'm doing is plugging the podcast. You just recently talked to him on our Big Fight Weekend podcast. All right, vacant belt, almost a 50-50 fight, Dan Rayfield. Uh, as you see there, and with an over-under of 10 and a half rounds, this is very intriguing. Somebody's going to get their hand raised, barring the unlikely draw, and be a world champion Saturday night. Thoughts on Kolmakov, Ford, and make a prediction, please. Yeah, really interesting fight. ESPN Plus, by the way, for this card, it's, it's not on the network. It's only on the on the streaming uh, app for ESPN for this event. But uh, it's a really interesting fight. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by this. This, for those who are wondering why this title is vacant, this is vacant because Lee Wood, who was the WBA featherweight champion, vacated the title and is moving up in weight. So his his mandatory was Kolmatov, and obviously he's not going to be fighting him. So Ray Ray Ford was the next leading available contender in the WBA rankings. I think this is a very interesting matchup. As I said, they have different styles, but they're both outstanding amateurs when they were not fighting for pay. They've fashioned undefeated records against okay opponents as professionals. Uh, they're both around the same age. Kolmatov is 25. Ray Ford is 24. Uh, and they, like I said, you've got Kolmatov, who my my impressions of him, having watched him a couple of times, he is a straight-ahead banger, likes to punch, throw a lot of punches, but has boxing skills. He, he was a top-notch amateur. This is a man who was a bronze medal winner in the 2016 Olympic Games. He didn't turn pro right away. Um, and through the professional ranks, he's dominated all of his opponents. He's got... All of his wins by knockout except for one fight that went the route. And the fight that I saw two fights ago when he became the mandatory for uh, uh, the, the title belt that he's going to fight for on Saturday, that was against a fighter that was like 30 or 33-0-1, Martin J. Ward from UK, uh, you know, who was making his name also over there. And, and Kolmatov was pretty much unknown. And he went to the other guy's hometown and didn't just win the fight but laid an absolute beating on him and knocked him out. And when I saw that fight, TJ... I swear to God, I got that tingly sensation that I'm watching like the early days of Triple G when he came to the United States. So I call right. it like Triple G light, like Triple G-ish, if you will. So he was very, very impressive. Uh, he's only had one fight since then to sort of stay active while he's waiting for his title shot. He won that fight by, uh, you know, pretty easily as well, just kind of a tune-up opponent. And Ray Ford was not at the level of amateur uh, that Kolmatov was in the sense that he got a, a, gold, a medal in the Olympic Games, but Ray Ford was a U.S. national champion in the Golden Gloves. Uh, you know, he's fought, uh, you know, throughout the amateur United States ranks and was in all those top tournaments and fashioned a good career there as well. And as a professional, signed with Matchroom Boxing right out of the amateurs. They've nurtured him his entire career. He's been a little inconsistent at times. I, I talked about that on the podcast, and folks can listen to that, where he'd go in the ring and he'd look spectacular in one fight, and then kind of just look sort of like, you know, good, but just sort of average in the next fight. He did have a draw in a fight that was sort of a disappointing performance. He had a split decision win that was sort of like, you know, a little bit shaky. But he's also had some fights where he's looked lights out, whether it was because he got the guy in terms of a knockout or he just completely outboxed a guy. But what really, I think, at least for me, that made me more of a believer was in the last fight. He didn't just beat Jesse Magdalena, who was a quality guy who had been a junior featherweight title holder. He just you know, dominated him completely. Now, I'm not saying Jesse Magdaleno is going to the Hall of Fame or anything, but that's a real fighter who also was a good amateur that was a world mm-hmm. champion at one point, and he just completely shut him down and dominated. And so this matches up really, really well. I mean, uh, you know, these guys are not big names yet, but the guy who puts on, if they can put on a great performance and win this title, you know, has a lot to offer in the future because they're still on the younger area of their career and they have things that they can do in a very uh, good weight class. 
And so, you know, you say, who's the pick? So I love the, uh, I look at Komatov as a banger aggressor, but can box. And I look at Ford as a guy that has capability, uh, outstanding capability of boxing, but has shown at moments to stand in there and fight also. So you got the, the brawler who can box, but the boxer who can also brawl. And so I find that to be a very fascinating kind of uh, matchup. So I think it's a, I think it's a real fight. Uh, but if, if I have to make my pick, uh, I'm still thinking about those knockouts I've seen Komatov score. And I just cannot, uh, you know, get over the punching power and just, just the, the, the ferocity and the just aggression that he has shown. I'm not sure Ford, uh, with some of the inconsistent performances that he has had, can stand up to that for, you know, 12 rounds. So uh, I my pick on this fight is Odebeck Komatov. I have him by the knockout. The over-under is 10 and a half. I'm taking the under. And we'll see if that aggression uh, plays out or if Ford can neutralize it. He is a southpaw. And, uh, you know, if he can, uh, can outbox him. And again, for Ford, he has fought three distance fights, a couple of them 12-round fights recently out of his last four fights. Um, so we're going to lock you in on Kolmatov to get the victory. Um, you're going to take him by knockout. I don't have a feel if this is a knockout or not, but I like the Uzbek here to get the win. Might it be a decision? I'm going to cover myself either way, so i got to lay a little more here than you. I'm going to lay the 150, and again, I'm not going to mess for when the fight ends. We often talk on this show as we handicap, if you're fairly new to the show, the two things Dan and I are often most keyed in on are the prop of knockout or decision, not just the money line, and then when does the fight end, W-H-E-N. I don't have a feel on the over-under. Dan obviously does have a feel, and he actually is going to, by extension here, take the under. Uh, which is going to cash a little better for you, yeah, under 10 and a half. This is only going to be Ray Ford's second 12-round fight. I think you misspoke there. Thank you. He went, he went to 12 rounds in the distance win against Magdalena. He's had other fights that's gone 10 rounds, but this is only going to be the second 12-rounder. All right, thank you for that. And again, three of the last four have been decisions. He does have a couple of early knockouts. Clearly, though, this is the best competition he's faced. And uh, you would think that Ford regionally has some fans in Upstate New York, being from New Jersey, uh, Komatov here. Uh, we'll we'll see if he has any backing, but this should be very entertaining. Saturday night, it's the main event, ESPN top-ranked show, and the WBA's featherweight crown vacant is on the line, 126-pound world championship fight. We look forward to that. So Rayfield and I have the same fighter. We just don't have uh, the how uh, as the same way, or even the win in Dan's uh, case. All right, so that is fight number one on that card. Immediately preceding that main event is another featherweight world title fight where Luis Alberto Lopez of Mexico would fight Abe of Japan here in a fight that he's heavily favored to win, as you see on the Bet US line. Lopez is the champion for the IBF at 126 pounds. He previously, and Dan will elaborate on this, has gone to the UK and won important fights. Now this fight, again, is on this ESPN top-ranked show in upstate New York. Lopez, as you see, by knockout plus 130. Interesting. Over under 10.5 rounds. I don't know a lot. I rely on you, on Abe, the, uh, the Japanese fighter that comes in. All right, tell me more about this with Lopez putting his title on the line. Well, this is, a, this is a mandatory fight. Abe earned that distinction by his victory in his previous fight where he defeated uh, the well-traveled, well-worn, uh, but still serviceable opponent, Kiko Martinez, who had won titles in you know, multiple weight classes, but was at the end of his career and wasn't a total shocker that he won that fight. Uh, Kiko retired after losing to Abe, but that was the fight that earned him uh, this title shot within the uh, IBF. 
And uh, Lopez, as you, you mentioned, he had fought in the UK. This guy's a road warrior. This guy is not concerned. He'd travel anywhere. So for Abe, he's coming to the United States to fight Lopez. It's his first fight outside of his home country of Japan. Uh, for uh, Lopez, you know, you could put him in Japan. You could put him in Verona, New York, where this fight's taking place. Put him in the UK. He doesn't care. Uh, just to give you an idea, when he before Lopez won the title, he won an elimination fight in the UK against Isaac Lowe on Isaac mm -hmm. Lowe's turf in England. Isaac Lowe is the good friend and and a training mate and, and stable mate of Tyson Fury. Won that fight overseas. Then he went back to the UK to Josh Warrington's hometown of Leeds, England, to challenge for the title as the mandatory. He won a majority decision, which really should have been unanimous, but he got the title. For his first offense, there was no celebratory homecoming, no big fight in Mexico or within a big you know, American city with a big Hispanic population. No, he went back to the Lions then. He went to Belfast, Northern Ireland, the hometown of Michael Conlon, and defended the title against Michael and scored an absolutely spectacular uh, knockout. I want to say round yep. five. Looked Demolished him. Night. Totally demolished him. Then finally got a chance in his last fight to fight in front of a largely Hispanic crowd, uh, you know, in the United States against another Mexican American, a Mexican American fighter, Joette Gonzalez. He won the decision. Didn't look spectacular in that fight, but certainly did enough to defeat uh, Joette Gonzalez, who had challenged for world titles on multiple occasions before that. So that's where he's at. He's had a very successful recent run as a challenger and as a champion. And uh, to me, this is a step down in his competition against Abe. I think the other fighters I have mentioned, whether it's even Joette Gonzalez, certainly Michael Conlon, and without question, Warrington, uh, you know, they seem to me, uh, for a lot of different reasons, to be a, greater, a better grade of opponent than Abe, who's traveling a long way. Uh, and, and listen, Lopez, the, one, the only thing that gives me pause, I'm, I'm just to cut to the chase here, I'm picking Lopez to win this fight. And I'm also picking him by a knockout, and I'm also taking the under 10 and a half. And, you know, I'm not big on the unders a lot of times in these fights. Right. Uh, but and but the one thing that does give me a slight pause is that the one time that uh, that Lopez was defeated, pre-winning the title, obviously, he fought Ruben Villa, who is an excellent boxer from Salinas, California, who's also with top rank, uh, really consummate boxer, was also a top amateur. He lost a decision to him. And he's a southpaw, and Abe's a southpaw also. So that does give me a little pause. I'm if you're if you're in the Lopez camp, you hope that they went to school on on fighting a southpaw because he did not look great against Villa, even though it was a close fight and he lost against the lefty. Now he's taken on another lefty who's also more of a boxer than a brawler, uh, the same sort of a similar way that uh, that Villa was. So that's the one sort of thing that does give me mild concerns. But he's got so much aggression and he does have good punching power. I can't shake their image of that knockout against Conlon that was so spectacular. Uh, that I think that's uh, what we're looking at. We're looking at a, a Lopez defense. We're looking at a knockout. And we're looking at a one that's not going to take more than 10 and a half rounds to get him out of there. All right. Interesting here. Again, for the reasons you mentioned, Lopez is the favorite. Uh, I Again, I like the knockout with you. I don't have a feel for when it is, uh, when that is going to be happening. So... Let's see. Let's see what happens uh, in this bout. We'll lock us both in on the Luis Alberto Lopez knockout prop. We'll cash plus 130 if that is the case. Again, this is the co-feature fight, top-ranked boxing ESPN uh, show Saturday night uh, in New York, in Verona, New York. You will take the over. You'll lay a little bit there for the over. That It's a late-round knockout no, no. Uh, I took, for this matchup. I took the under. You have the under. We'll correct that for the best okay. bets. My mistake there on that. You'll take the under and get a little better play Let's make sure uh, we get on that. that. Fix. Rayfield needs the win. Rayfield needs an under for this fight. So our mistake there on that graphically, under 10 and a half rounds, that it will come quicker against 
Abe, the uh, the Japanese fighter who, again, is coming a long way away uh, to be involved in this fight uh, tonight. And again, I suggested this to you previously, but just for the audience, because there's some back and forth right now in the chat about prospects at featherweight. Is it that unrealistic that if they're on the same card that the two winners on Saturday night would end up meeting in a unification fight? Again, call me crazy that that seems logical that you'd have them both in the same building, both in the same ring in consecutive fights, and that the winners might meet down the road. I'm nuts, right, that, to even suggest that, Dan Rayfield. TJ, I mean, you're, you're, you, you, love, you love to just make things so easy. It's boxing. <laughs> Nothing's ever easy. So, well, yes, it's certainly plausible that the winners could fight. And when I say that, I mean especially if the fighters that are with the same company are the winners. And that would be Komatov uh, and Lopez, who are both with Top Rank. Abe is with Tekken Promotions in Japan, who does a lot of business with Top Rank. And and Ray Ford is with Matchroom Boxing, who doesn't do a lot of business with Top Rank. The reason why this fight happened is because Top Rank won a purse bid to uh, gain the rights for the match. So there's that. So if it's if it happens to be a Ray Ford winning and it happens to be also Abe winning, I would I would say the chances of a unification fight are like zero, okay? If it's Lopez winning, I'm just <laughs> right. being honest. If it's Lopez winning and it's and it's, uh, and it's uh, Lo- and Lopez Klomatov. winning and Klomatov winning, it's definitely possible. But, you know, knowing the way the top rank does their business, they would probably look to do that fight at some point, but they're not going to do it next most likely. You never know if the fighters demand it, if suddenly there's, you know, some kind of real reason to go forward and do so. Uh, it would be a little surprising, uh, but it does create the possibility. Top rank is, uh, is not averse to matching their top guys against each other. They've been doing it on a regular basis for 60 years. Uh, I just don't think it would be next. And if it's, you know, if it's going to come to pass, uh, you know, Ray Ford with Matchroom, if it happened, you know, they'd have to make some kind of deal. I don't know if they want to send their guy over to the other platform for a fight that's not that big. So, you know, it makes sense intellectually and on paper, but boxing often is not intellectual and it doesn't take place on paper. So, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out. And, you know, you never know if there's a, a great fight and maybe there's a call for a rematch or there's something hugely controversial that would push that off. Plus, you can't uh, forget about the fact that Top Rank is another featherweight title fight that they're going to be doing come this summertime. It's going to be the rematch between Robesy Ramirez, who had that massive upset right. loss to Rafael Espinosa back at the end of last year. Uh, so the winner of that could play into this situation. At the end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, it's really about setting up who's going to be challenge, who's going to be defending titles when when the main superstar of this of this area of weight classes rises one division, and that is when Noya Inouye, who is currently the undisputed junior featherweight champion, who's got a defense coming up in May, will stay in that weight class. He says for the rest of this year and fight three times. That come 2025, when he rises to featherweight, top rank who is his co-promoter, will have these different belts all lined up because they will be the promoter of the IBF champion if Lopez wins. They are the promoter, obviously, of Komatov. If he wins, they'll have the WBA title in their stable. Mm-hmm. And they're also the promoter of Robesy Ramirez and work with Rafael Espinosa, so they'll be involved with the person who has the WBO title as well. Point is, those belts are going to be there to put in play for big money fights and big events when Inouye goes to featherweight. It ain't that complicated. That's the that's the real ticket here. Now, uh, perhaps there'll be unification before that, so when in a way right, right. There, he can win two belts at the same time, perhaps, maybe even three, depending on how it goes, or or maybe get upset or lose, who knows, but the point, right. they're keeping these belts available for that in the longer term. World Championship fight, 
Lopez's belt. He makes the defense. And again, to clarify, Dan is on not only the knockout, but he is on the under, which would cash plus 155, even though you may not see that on the screen right now. Dan taking the under 10 and a half rounds in the co-feature fight Saturday night in New York. Again, thank you for finding us. I see the live audience growing. We thank you for that. We're here Fridays, 1 Eastern time. If you love boxing, if you love the sweet science, be here with us. We handicap fights, but also live Q&A coming up. Stand by for that. We're almost uh, anything is fair game from the uh, historical perspective, current fights, etc. Uh, Raphael may start giving out March Madness advice because it's college <laughs> basketball and he's a Duke I'm guy. You never know. You I'm, never I'm know in the uh, in the live chat here on this. All right, one more fight to go, and this is interesting. This is in Puerto Rico. It is Jake Paul's return. When last we saw him, we barely saw him. It was a one-round KO back in December. To his credit, He's right back fighting another eh, cruiserweight fight. But in this case, again, it's not a main event pay-per-view. It is on a regular DAZN show. It's actually on a show being headlined by Amanda Serrano. All right, Paul is a massive favorite against a cruiserweight by the name of Ryan Borland, who other than his family and Dan Rayfield, not many people know about Ryan Borland. All right, 25 to 1 favorite. And did you see that, folks? We're going to handicap a fight with a one and a half round over under this is because i keep saying and it's obvious jake paul's fights for the most part have been one of two things either a lightning bolt right hand ends it in in the first round or the fight basically goes the route one of the two there's not been a lot of in between all right his last fight was a first round knockout Get into this a little bit and make a prediction. What do we know about Ryan Borland? And most importantly for handicapping, can he stay upright through the middle of the second round against that right hand of uh, of the problem child, Jake Paul, as he tries to get some more experience at cruiserweight as a boxer? Well, you mentioned that the only ones that know about Ryan Borland are Ryan Borland's family and me. But I submit to you, it may be the two of them as well as the matchmakers for Jake Paul who know exactly what they're doing here. Again, you have to remember, he, he's doing his career sort of backwards. Here's a man who has started with major fights, major events, roughly, with these former MMA fights, uh, former MMA fighters as his opponents, very famous opponents, Nate Diaz and Anderson Silva, uh, Tyron Woodley. I mean, guys that had followings and, and fame from MMA that were coming to boxing. So it was sort of a calculated risk. They wouldn't be able to make that full crossover. You know, and Jake was fighting them early in his boxing career, but having big pay-per-view events. Now he's decided, and I can respect this, because he's made a lot of money and he's gotten those fights under his belt and gained some experience and works diligently in the gym by anybody who you talk to that's around him and his team. He's kind of going back the old-fashioned way. Put aside some of these crazy crossover fights and and uh, and, and big money pay-per-views where now it's not about so much just getting the big check for each one of these fights. He wants, he claims, to help himself develop at the best possible that he can into a bona fide contender and in his mind someday a world champion. Now that is a script that has not yet been written, but he's going about it and his team is going about it the right way. They're matching him with developmental opponents the same way if he was a nobody that you never heard of that was on a, you know, say like the top rank card fighting in the four or six rounder, you know, at the four o'clock in the afternoon preliminary before the main card. That's what these are. But because he's got such fame, he's in the bigger spot. Right. So they pick a guy like Borland coming off what he just did in the last fight. Again, a guy with a good record, 17-2, and two, who actually had a decent amateur career, uh, but is not obviously a world beater, has been knocked out in the past. 
uh, is a bit older, has had just, you know, is coming off of a year and a half layoff. So they, they mixed all that together and they figured that their man, Jake Paul, can handle that. Now, the question I have, to me, this is not about does Jake Paul win the fight. Yeah, obviously, he's going to win the of fight. Of course. You know, right. that seems preordained, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, anything can happen, but that, that would be a, a shocking. I would, if he wins, that'd be pretty much the upset of the year right here. Bang, bang, wrapped up in the month of uh, in March. Um, it's does he get the knockout? And if he does, how quick does he get it for the reasons you outlined? So I just can't ever wrap my mind around taking the under of a one and a half round fight. I just, I just cannot bring myself to do it. But they make us pick the fights, and I'm going to play along and have a little fun on this one. So I'm taking Jake by the knockout. And I'm going to pray to God that Ryan Borland can hang in there for, you know, <laughs> one round and a half and maybe a few seconds longer. Uh, how much longer? Who the heck knows? But hopefully he watched the last fight and realized I better stay the heck away from the right hand for a little while if I can. Um, I'm hopeful that that whatever amateur career he had is at least somewhat muscle memory and that uh, he can stay away from it. And so, again, the only interest to me in this fight whatsoever is can the fight go beyond one and a half rounds? That's if right. If it goes beyond one and a half rounds, I can shut it off the TV right there. I won't do that. But so that's the pick. I mean, again, we, we, we really put this one on our rundown to kind of have a little fun with the over-under because yes, correct. We see too many one and a half rounds. I, I don't think you and I have not handicapped a fight that low. We handicapped maybe one fight, was it what recently was, even, that it was two and a half. But what was the this is the middle fight? of the second round. Can Ryan Borland out of, do I see this correctly, fighting out of, the thriving metropolis of Dickinson, North Dakota. That's where he lives now. Making his way to Puerto Rico to fight Jake Paul. And again, Paul massively popular on social media, through YouTube, through Instagram, etc. Is serious about the boxing career. And again, this is just another, you know, get some rounds, maybe a couple of rounds, get busy. You and I lock it in. He's going to win by knockout, and we're both going to tantalizingly look at that one and a half and say over. We'll lock it in the, now. Do you, do you remember what the over-under was on the last Jake Paul fight? You said we hadn't really I, handicapped around that. I want to say that was like three and a half. Okay. If we go back and look to December and the know, Andre August somebody, fight. I know we had somebody that we didn't handicap the fight, but I believe there was a Richard Torres heavyweight fight where the over-under was like one and a half. It was one and a half. That's correct. But yeah, I'm trying good. to go back in scanning. I'm looking live on the fly. You ask, and I deliver that the over-under was six and a half on wow. the Andre August fight in December. Don't get confused on the months. I'm confusing myself. That fight was in December. Andre August was the opponent, and it was boom goes the dynamite with an uppercut about two minutes into the fight in Orlando. I like E-Man. This, is, this is one and a half rounds. Coming up for for the Coliseum in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I'm with you, though. I think it lasts beyond the midway point of the second round for Jake Paul. He's to run around the ring for a round and a half. Laterally move some. Let's see if he has any of that. We'll find out. And, uh, and there you go. Um, we'll see. We'll see what Paul does. And on that point, there's several people asking about this. Is he going to look, from what you're hearing, and you've had him on the podcast again recently in a one-on-one -on -one interview, is he going to look to fight somebody of the contender type soon, no, no. later later this year, no, or probably? I mean, Stop. Stop, stop, what? stop, stop, stop. What? He's had one amateur fight. He's fought nine professional fights or whatever. Okay against MMA guys mostly. There's zero reason needed and, and celebrities. that he's fighting a top guy. George, I'm not, I didn't say top. I, I didn't say top. I said a no, contender. No, 
No, no, no. I'll say not it again. Happening. And I saw the last comment. Is he going to fight a guy, step up against a George Arias? Absolutely not. George Arias at this moment in time would probably clean his clock. Number one, George Arias is a heavyweight, not a cruiserweight. Number two, yeah. that is that is not what they're trying to do here. And that fight wouldn't mean anything to anybody except the demented person who asked about George Arias in the first place. Okay, but hold on, hold on. If he blasts this guy, and we don't think he will with the first big punch, isn't the public? Well, he might. Just people, might take till the second round. Okay, I understand. We want it to be after 131 on the clock in the second round, you and me. But if he blasts this guy right away with one punch, isn't the public going to demand? Aren't his own people going to say, we got to have a little better competition? No, fair? No, not fair. Okay. All right. I reject every single thing you said. Number okay. one, this is not a pay-per-view fight, so there are no options. I understand that. I understand Number that. Two, but sooner or later, man. Mighty One, you have to work your way towards contender, title, if that's what you're really doing. This so is sooner or later. This is a fight against a so-called real boxer with amateur credentials and uh, a decent professional record. Incorrect. I'm here to help you. Tommy Fury had an amateur career and so had 10 a, professional so fights. His, so, so it's his third. His third, correct. Uh, he's he's I, fought some. I, I will give you that one. It's going to take a little more time. When Mike Tyson became the heavyweight champion of the world, the dude fought a bunch of nobodies for a long time before he stepped up. Deontay Wilder didn't fight a real heavyweight contender until he fought for the title. Jake Paul's not fighting a quote-unquote right. top guy or contender guy for a while, in my opinion. You have said a, you've said a bunch. We've said a bunch. There we go. We're both locked in on the Paul knockout, and we want the over one and a half rounds, please, Ryan Borland of please. Dickinson, on, Borland. Dickinson North Carolina. I'm, I'm sorry, Dickinson, North Dakota. North Dakota, big, big, strong North Dakota backing for this guy, Borland. Don't and it's in Puerto Dakota. Rico. So let's see what happens. And again, Amanda Serrano's Ladies Featherweight World Championship Triple uh, Belt Championship title defense is the main event on the DAZN show. We're not going to handicap it here. Jake Paul's immediately before that in the co-feature in this fight. Let's see how long it takes uh, for that to take place. All right, with that, let's get to a little Q&A here. Elliot wants to know right away, Elliot watching, thank you, says, what about Amanda Serrano? This 12-round fight, again, she's wanting to fight 12-round title fight. So Elliot asks, what about this with Nina Meinke, if that's how you say it? Uh, what are we looking at here for this, the main event on DAZN in Puerto Rico uh, off Elliot's question? Go ahead. Well, this is one of Amanda's mandatory defenses. She is the, co the current owner of three of the major titles. She doesn't have the fourth title because it, she vacated because of a beef between her and the WBC, because Amanda is insistent upon fighting 12-round fights at three minutes in length when the standard for women's boxing matches has always been 10 rounds, maximum rounds, and two-minute rounds. And uh, there's no rule in the other organizations that say they can't do that. So they requested that. The opponent's okay with that. So they're doing this at the men's championship distance, 12 and 3. The WBC... For their reasons, they claim their medical advisory people have said it's not good. They made different cases about it. And as their organization, they can make their rules as they see fit. But she's not going to participate in a WBC fight if she cannot have a 12-round fight with the rounds that are three minutes. So uh, for that reason, uh, she had been the undisputed champion with all the belts. And so she gave up that title uh, and had a 12-round fight with three minutes in length in her most recent defense that she won. And now here she goes into this fight, which for her is a really big deal. And that's one of the reasons why Jake Paul, who is her promoter, the combination of this fight not being a obviously a big name opponent for Jake and Amanda 
coming home. She's she's been a, a, a she's Puerto Rican, but she's made her base in Brooklyn forever. Uh, but she's having a, a homecoming fight, as they call it. And so he made I felt like a really cool decision to put her in the main event, yes. and give her the attention instead of him taking all the attention. Let him go on the undercard. He's still obviously in the co-feature. Let him develop, you know, in the in the manner in which they're trying to develop his career. And you put Amanda Serrano, who's one of the pound-for-pound best women's boxers in the world. She's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer when the time comes uh, to to take the spotlight, especially in front of that kind of hometown crowd that's going to come out to support her. There's also another Puerto Rican world champion in Jonathan Gonzalez, who's fighting lower down on the card. So it's going to be a big night for Puerto Rican boxing. Um, so Serrano is in with Mickey, who's, you know, she's okay, nothing spectacular. One would expect that, you know, if Amanda is on her game, that this should be the kind of fight that she wins. Amanda has been known as having a good punching power, hasn't really displayed it in terms of a big knockout in recent fights. So I'm not going to see her in a handicap and say she's getting the knockout, but I would anticipate Amanda, given how up she is for this fight being at home, uh, you know, comes and rises to the occasion and wins the fight and, and defends the title. And she is a tremendous personality as well. Good left hand. Good for her that she has been elevated over the last two or three years uh, here. I was in the arena for the uh, the sold-out show in Tampa where she was on the undercard of Jake Paul's knockout of Tyron Woodley. Here we go again with a UFC fighter. And she was very impressive that night and has continued. She lost the narrow decision that you referenced to Katie Taylor. Uh, still looking for lucrative fights, and she's got a, a homecoming opportunity here in the main event on DAZN. Again, Serrano's women's world title fight is the main event in Puerto it, Rico. It just shows you, by the Sorry, way, how, yep. how outstanding that Amanda is, because when she fought Katie Taylor, who was also one of the very best female boxers in the world, who currently is the undisputed champion in the junior welterweight division, when she fought Amanda uh, against uh, Katie, Amanda was the featherweight champion. She moved up two weight classes to challenge for the lightweight title. And now she's back right. featherweight. And she only barely, barely, barely lost against uh, Katie Taylor. And certainly you can argue that she deserved the victory. It was that kind of a close fight. So, uh, I mean, she is a real credit to women's boxing, to boxing. She's a fantastic athlete and, a, and, a, and a, just a, a great fighter. All right, let's continue. Aguilar Boxing is watching. Thank you. Out of the live chat says, any thoughts on Baru, if that's how you say it, or Barau? And Eggington, that is tonight in Telford, England. My trusty Dan Raphael boxing schedule tells me that that's a WBA junior middleweight eliminator tonight. Sam Eggington uh, and Abbas Baru or Barau, however you say it. Any Abbas thoughts Baru. on that real quick? Go ahead. Yeah, a lot of thoughts on that. Abbas Baru against Sam Eggington. Baru is the up-and-comer. Uh, Eggington is sort of in the tail end of his career. I actually kind of thought he actually had retired, to be quite honest with you. He's been in some great entertaining fights, but has taken a lot of punishment. Uh, this fight was not sanctioned as a WBA eliminator until a few days ago by the WBA. I actually was having a text exchange with my my good pal Gilberto Mendoza, the president of the WBA, about that situation just a little while before we started the show. Uh, for those who care, uh, and again, this was just finalized, I think, literally yesterday, maybe the day before yesterday. In the United States, this fight is available on DAZN. I believe the broadcast starts at 2 o'clock on Friday, so a little bit uh, after, basically, when we're done with the show, the undercard will start. Um, taking place in the UK. In, in the United right. Kingdom, it's, uh, it's a free over-the-air event. It's on Channel 5. But here in the States, and I guess a lot of places around the rest of the world, it's on the zone. But look, uh, Baru, is, uh, he's, a, he's a good fighter. I don't, I don't know if, he, if the winner d deserves to be in an in a opportunity to fight for a world title. Uh, but these, these belts are becoming vacated because the WBA title, uh, to, to jump ahead for a minute, next week on the undercard of Anthony Joshua against Francis Nagano, there is a fight uh, that's going to be for what is now going to be the vacant WBA title because they're putting Jermel Charlo into recess because he's inactive and there's no plans for a future fight. So they're going to fill that vacancy. So the winner of this fight is going to be a step closer to being 
in a title fight against that winner. So there's some stakes here. And look, Baru is a pretty solid guy, even though he doesn't have a ton of professional fights. I think he's only 14 and one, but he's somewhat of an up and comer. Uh, good enough on that. By the way, the savages are losing their mind that you made a statement about Mike Tyson fighting a bunch of nobodies. He fought three undefeated fighters in his first six fights. He fought Donnie Long in his ninth pro fight. Tyson still was much more active as well. He was fighting like, if you go back and look at Mike Tyson, he was fighting like every three weeks. Several times he fought two and three weeks at a time. Yeah. The records are not indicative of the types of opponents. If you are ever at all familiar with the the, the, the way that his career was plotted out by his managers right. at the time, uh, the late uh, Jimmy Jacobs and the late Bill Caton, uh, they were not fighters that were supposed to he be. He literally was fighting every two or three weeks yeah. as well. Different That's time, true. trying to build him up. Exactly. Listen, when, he was in that heyday of all those fights that we were talking about in that pre, you know, time of being on even ABC or HBO pre-title when he was just fighting like local shows in Schenectady, New right, York. In New York. Right, right, right. That's where I grew up. So Tyson became a local celebrity. He was on the local news. He was in the local papers. I'm extremely aware of those yep. fights and the types of opponents. So just because he was fighting a guy that was 8-0 and o or whatever, uh, he was fighting stiffs, bottom who's line. The, yeah, who's the 8? Uh, Benito watching. Now, we did talk about this early in the show, but Benito might have joined us late. He said, Dan, is it true that Berlanga's team rejected Canelo's offer to fight on Cinco de Mayo weekend, Benito has the question. No. That, to your not, they, they have not rejected anything on the Berlanga end about fighting him in May. Right? 100% that is inaccurate. Unless it happened since we've been on the air. So <laughs> I, I speak to uh, Edgar Berlanga's team and his manager on a regular basis. Absolutely. There, I don't even think there's been an offer tendered. Okay. And again, why would he reject it? I mean, no, Berlanga's going to make potentially the, the largest by far. I mean, if the time comes where yes. they engage in a negotiation and the Canelo team throws out a number, they may say no and ask you know, for something different. And that's the whole point of a negotiation. You go back and forth. Obviously, the first offer is not the last offer. But no, right. that is not, I don't know where that comes from, but no. Gotcha. Theo watching. Theo says, is Haney Garcia a pay-per-view? I know this answer. It's yes. He says, seems Hold like on. DAZN is waiting to spring it on us, or have they said something already? Have they said? It's a, that's a pay-per-view, is it not? Let me explain. It's a pay-per-view in the United States of America. It is not a pay-per-view in the rest of their markets around the world. All right. So it will be pay-per-view. What do you make, while we're here on Theo's question, again, Theo has the question, what do you make of Ryan Garcia, in particular, the Los Angeles press conference yesterday, Thursday, as we do this live show Friday, he didn't look good, he didn't sound good, how concerned should we be about six weeks from now, six weeks is a long time from now, but what are your, what are your thoughts on him in the, press, in the press tour in New York and then L.A.? I thought it was really difficult to watch the, the, the press conference in Los Angeles. I, I, I made a point on my social media that it wouldn't shock me if, you know, he withdrew from the fight at some point. He looked in bad shape. He sounded terrible. Uh, I know for a fact from somebody that was there that after the press conference in New York on Tuesday, he was out partying. He said so at the press conference in, in Los Angeles when, when Devin Haney accused him of using cocaine. And he said, no, let me clarify. I don't use cocaine. All I do is drink and smoke weed. Uh, okay, fine. I mean, if you're not a professional athlete getting ready for the biggest fight of your life, maybe you take up that as a little recreational. I mean, it's not my thing, but okay, whatever. Under the category of things that you don't need to be saying to help promote the fight, that would be near the top of the list. It's not even about promoting the fight. It's about you want to give yourself the best opportunity to be the winner of the fight. You shouldn't be drinking and smoking, even if you do that away from the boxing ring when you're not preparing for a fight. Uh, He's certainly not living the life, a Spartan life of the fighter. Uh, and he was already going to be the underdog. And, you know, if you watch and you see that, 
you just hope that he can keep himself together and turn in a great performance. But right. you know, he's showing, and I, I've known Ryan since he's a kid, since he's you know 18, 17 years old. Uh, the cracks are showing, and I'm a little concerned for his welfare, frankly, in terms of his mentality and and uh, and the kind of life he's living. And he doesn't have a lot of guardrails. His parents are very permissive, not that they can tell him what to do. He is a grown man at like 25 years old. Um, but obviously, you know, it didn't look good. So yeah, you problems have been there. They they made Problem. a point at the press conference to introduce the new signing that they have the the uh, junior welterweight contender undefeated uh, Arnold Barboza Jr. who's going to be in the co-feature on this card, and if the worst comes to pass and somehow some reason that fight uh, drops out, you know as Arnold said when he spoke at the podium, you know I'm here and uh, you know I'm happy to step up into the main event if needed and uh, and beat beat whoever's standing. All right, quickly, Francisco has a hypothetical question. He says, is there a bantam or super bantamweight from history that would have beaten Naoya in a way? Uh, he says, which current featherweight might have the best shot against him? Do you have an all-timer that comes to mind right now as a bantam or a super bantamweight that uh, you would love to fantasy boxing make a match with the monster Naoya in a way of Japan? Anything I mean, I come to mind immediately? I think about a guy like Wilfredo Gomez. I mean, a lot of people mm -hmm. might not know him. The guy made like, you know, I don't know, 5,000 title defenses at, at junior featherweight. Like, listen, I, I, I know how great Noya Inoue is, but I cannot anoint him as the greatest junior featherweight of all time when your body of work in that weight class has amounted to exactly two fights against Stephen Fulton and against Marlon Tapalis. I'm sorry, not happening. So talk to me when he's done what other fighters who've been in that weight class for years and years and done yeoman's work forever. Second part of the question, at featherweight right now, we've talked about featherweights at the beginning of the show and handicapped the fights. Who would legitimately have the best shot to beat him if he's moving up to 126? Do you have a name? Do you have a thought real quick? I mean, of the guys that are out there, I mean, we're going to see what happens with Komatov and, uh, and, and, um, and Ford. And obviously, you got the other title fight with Lopez and Abe. And, and the third one that's going to be in the summer, the rematch with Ramirez against Espinoza. Uh, you know, the weight classes are created for a reason. I suspect, based on what I've seen, even though Inouye in a way started his career in terms of his first world title, you know, far down the scale and has moved up consistently. He was a 108-pounder when he won his first world title. Um, that he may be able to handle that, you know, pretty well. So, you know, I, I think he's competitive, if not beats the, the top featherweights right now, but he needs to put a little more work in at junior featherweight and obviously put the weight on and make sure he's in the right uh, physical condition before he goes into those types of fights. But yeah, he's going to be the favorite. It's being set up for him on a tee to be in that featherweight weight class at some point to win titles. All right, one more here real quick. Luis watching us. Thank you, Luis. Says, does Troy Isley get it done? This is the ESPN top rank show. Uh, Isley, um, I'm looking here against Marcos Hernandez on my Dan Rayfield schedule. Middleweights. Thought on Troy Isley on the undercard. Troy Isley is an interesting prospect. I mean, he's he's being moved, uh, I won't say slowly, but he he needs more uh, seasoning and refining, let's say, than certain prospects. He was a United States Olympian. Uh, I, I actually follow Troy Isley. He's from the town right next to where I live, uh, from Alexandria, Virginia. So I, I, you know, in my heart, I'd like to see him do well, kind of my hometown guy. Um, and and he's, he's, he's shown a little bit because he's very, first of all, he's stocky and he's muscular and he looks like he's in incredible condition. Uh, hasn't really shown the kind of punching power that you might associate with that kind of build. But he's a work in progress. This is a developmental fight for him. And the, the hope is that he will go and do what he's got to do in a fight like this, get some rounds in and just continue to improve. It's not the kind of fight you're handicapping. Obviously, as the Olympian, the undefeated Olympian, 
you know, the A-side and the promoter's fighter, he's the favorite and they're matching him to help him improve, not to get him beat. But you never know. And so, yeah, you you obviously you think that Troy Isley is going to get it done, how he gets it done, if he looks good doing so. You know, I just don't know the answer. Right now, the way I see Troy Isley's career unfolding, he's kind of like the little engine that could. He's passing the test. He's doing what he's got to do. And we'll see how, how far he can take it. All right. Again, he's on the undercard of this featherweight double header. And that's the perfect segue. We're good on the questions. Thank you for the questions there, peeps. Uh, let's go and take a look at what we're on for the best bets. You and I in the main event with Kolmatov and Ray Ford of Camden, New Jersey, both like Kolmatov. I don't have the feel for the knockout of the decision. Ray feels going all in with KO and the under. I have been kid knockout so far with my knockout predictions all 2024. Ray feels like going knockout crazy uh, today, including in the co-feature fight. He's got Luis Alberto Lopez defending the IBF 126-pound title by knockout and the under there. I'll take Lopez by knockout as well, but not mess with the over-under. We both love Jake Paul with the quick KO, ridiculous odds. The real debate, does Ryan Borland, the opponent, make it through the middle of the we second don't round? Want it too quick, TJ. We don't want, it, don't too want it too quick. We just want a minute and a half to get onto the clock. Even if he's on the canvas, take the uh, take the eight count, the nine count, and get it past a minute and a half if that's the case. Let's see if he can frustrate Jake Paul for a little bit. We're going to find out. Anything else in closing, Dan Rayfield, before we're gone for another week? Ready for the action this week. By the way, next week, we're ready to talk Anthony Joshua, Francis Ngannou, and that fight is a Friday night fight next week, peeps. So Friday night, March 8th, Saudi Arabia, afternoon U.S. time. That's like prime, prime preview time here on BetUS TV for Rayfield and Reeves to be talking about that. That's next week. Anything else in closing? I think we're good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the featherweight doubleheader. I always enjoy those weight classes. I think we got at least one interest. The, the really interesting fight to me is Komotov and Ford. I'm pumped up to watch that and, uh, and get on to the heavyweight business next week. That'll be fun also. Bipolar Boxing, shout out to you. He says he's going to the fights in Verona, New York. Go oh, get him. Uh, Gail's watching us in San Diego. Hello, Gail Falkenthal. She says ladies love the knockouts. We'll see if Amanda Serrano gets a knockout. We didn't handicap that fight. Just in we reference. got it all. Just in reference to uh, our uh, our viewer that said he's going to the fights at Turning Stone, the second ever professional boxing event I ever covered in my career and the first ever world championship fight I ever covered in my career was at the Turning Stone Resort Casino before they even had their permanent arena. And it was a ABC wide world of sports back in the day. And uh, I'll never forget that, my first ever world championship fight. About that. So that's where the fights With, are the ESPN way, top rank. Mark Two Sharp Johnson, the former flyweight champion, yes. Hamer, defended his title that day. Hold us that. Two Sharp Johnson. Again, ESPN top rank Saturday night for the featherweight ESPN title fight. Plus. ESPN plus. ESPN plus Saturday night. And then Jake Paul, Amanda Serrano, DeZone Saturday night from Puerto Rico. Let's see what happens. Dan Rayfield, look forward to being with you next week. Everybody have a great weekend. Thank you to Antonio, everybody behind the scenes at BetUS TV. We'll talk to you next week for the BetUS TV boxing show.